0: Good morning. When Paul left Galatia, located in present day Turkey, missionaries arrived who argued that Gentiles had to become children of Abraham before they could become children of God. This involved observing circumcision and Jewish dietary laws and Holy Day observances, in the wake of these missionaries' influence, um, the lights went out spiritually for the Galatians. The faith and love that had bloomed when Paul was there quickly wilted. And Paul writes the letter that we're looking at to repair the damage. He tells the Galatians what The missionaries didn't mention when they urged the Galatians to become sons of Abraham. He told them that, well, okay, but Abraham had two sons. Two sons with very different mothers and very different lives. Let's see what Paul says in Galatians 4, 21 through 31. Paul writes, tell me. You desire to be under the law? Do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women... Are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now, you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he was born according to the flesh persecuted him, who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But, What does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. In terms of a little bit of background, God made a covenant with Abraham. As part of the covenant, he told Abraham that he would bear a son. He told Abraham this when he was in his 70s. And uh, here's what it says in Galatians, Genesis 15, Fear not, Abram, God told him, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he, Abraham, believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. The decade passed, still no kids. Uh, Abram turned 85, and what we read, Genesis 16 now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. And he did so, and Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Another decade plus passes. When Abram turned 100 and Sarah was 99, God fulfilled his promise that he had made 25 to 30 years prior to that. Sometimes you have to wait. Oftentimes you have to wait for God to fulfill his promises. Um it says Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. With this background, let's consider what Paul writes. In verse 24, now this may be, Paul says, interpreted allegorically, this whole thing about Hagar and Ishmael and Sarah and Isaac. It says you can, it's kind of an allegory. Uh, One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children, but the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. Paul turns these two mothers and their two sons into two different groups that exist in Galatia that Paul is dealing with. Paul compares the Jewish missionaries who are creating confusion in the church, he compares them with Hagar. In Ishmael. So that's the Jewish missionaries that came when Paul left, they came in, and that's Paul's read on them. He compares the Jews and Gentiles in Galatia who was part of the church who were part of the church, who had become followers of Christ. He compares them to Sarah and Isaac. Here's what happened. The Galatians had come to believe in Jesus. And what happened? They were being led to believe that they needed to supplement Faith in Christ, which they had come to believe was all they had to do. They believed that you put your faith in Christ, this is what Paul told them. You put your faith in Christ and you are children of God as long as you place your faith in Christ. And again, if, who would be diverted from a deal like that? That's exactly what happened to the Galatians. Um, they were being told that, okay, Jesus, God loves you maybe, but he'll love you even more. If you get circumcised and if you observe the dietary laws and if you observe the holy day observances and all these things were written down in the Bible and, and so people scratched their head and they uh, said, okay, I guess this is the way it goes. The problem is they didn't understand what they were doing. They didn't understand that they were mixing covenants that don't mix. It's not just a matter of commandments that Certainly, God wants us to do. He doesn't want us to kill. He doesn't want us to steal. He doesn't want us to commit adultery. He doesn't want us to deal falsely. I mean, so what's the big deal with Paul? He placed these obligations within the context. Well, let me show you. Within the context of a covenant, um, the older covenant that precedes the covenant from Mount Sinai preceded for about almost 500 years, 430 years. It was made with Abraham, and it was a divine grant. We've talked about this, but very briefly, there's two different kinds of covenants. One is a unilateral covenant that a king makes because he wants to be benevolent, wants to be gracious. So he then unilaterally determines to bless people, and that's a divine grant. That's what God did with Abraham. So um, he didn't tell Abraham to do anything. He said, okay, a- Abraham, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to choose you, and you are going to be the father of a blessing that's going to go to the world. And, and that was a divine grant. And on the heels of that, 430 years later, he inserts another covenant, a different kind of covenant. This is a suzerain vassal Again, we talked about it. A suzerain is a dominant king, the big king powerful king. The vassal is a lesser king. And when a vassal is threatened by other kingdoms around, what the vassal will do is look to a suzerain, who is someone who can protect him, and they come into a suzerain-vassal covenant. And there's not just commitments. Well, there are commitments. The suzerain agrees to protect the vassal, but there's a price. There are commandments. That the vassal has to fulfill in order for the suzerain to keep his commitments. And it regularly meant you had to give this or do this or supply this lumber or pay this gold. And that was, so those were the commitments and there were consequences. Blessings if you obeyed, did what you were told to do and curses if you didn't. And these two covenants, a Divine grant and a suzerain vassal covenant, they're like oil and water. You can't be under both of them at the same time with the same king. They just are different deals. They're different agreements and mm-hmm. obligations. What the, what Paul understands is in mixing these Abrahamic covenant and the Covenant from Mount Sinai together, it might not seem that this is dangerous. According to Paul, it is unbelievably dangerous. Because what Paul understands, faith is placed in what God is saying. And if we become confused about what God is saying, what will happen to our faith? It will become confused. And if our faith, it's hard enough to have faith. If you're placing faith in two different things, it's its very difficult. So what Paul does, he becomes on good. Well, look what he writes in Galatians 3, verse 7 and then verses 9 through 13. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago. Mark looked at this. And let's just read. It says, no, then, Paul writes earlier in this letter, that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So he talks about who are sons of Abraham, and he says those who have faith. Faith in what? Faith in that, are sons of Abraham. Those who have faith in that, Paul would write, are not sons of Abraham. He goes on. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. The Old Covenant, through Moses, places inclusion on the far side of keeping the commandments. That's the way it works. If you, God has commitments, you do commandments, you keep the commandments, and God keeps his commitments. That's the way it works. And so, inclusion is on the far side of adhering to the commandments. The problem is... Well, here's the problem. He writes, all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, it says in verse 10 of Galatians 3, for it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. We have a tendency, and I've heard it said, the Ten Commandments are kind of helpful suggestions. They're good things to do, and they are good things to do. If I'm going to live next to you, I'm going to really like it that you're not going to kill, steal, murder, you know, do all these things. But the commandments are more than that. They are part of a firm covenant obligation, and they are binding obligations that must be perfectly observed and rigorously enforced. That's why Paul, when he talks about this covenant, he talks about it in this way. This is Mount Sinai in Arabia. And in this present context, this is the mountain that Paul is referring to. We learned earlier in this letter that when Paul gets knocked off his horse, mule, donkey, he then goes somewhere for three years we don't know where, well, we do know where he goes into this area. We don't know precisely what he does. It could well be that Paul goes to visit this mountain. This is Mount Sinai in Arabia. This is where God came down and spoke to Moses. And so, it's very likely that Paul visited this place, and when Paul in another book describes, the covenant that God inaugurated here for a temporary period. Again, there's the Abrahamic covenant and the new covenant. And this is sandwiched in the middle for a little bit of time. Here's the way Paul talked about it. It's a ministry of death. And a ministry of condemnation. These are Paul's words. So to be under the jurisdiction of The covenant that God makes here is to be put in a position where you will experience spiritual death and condemnation. That's what Paul indicates. And so Jesus died to change our relationship to the law. It says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. By becoming a cursed force, it says in Galatians 3.13. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Now, here's what it says. Cursed be everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law to do them. All you have to do to be cursed under the old covenant is slip up once in one place. Covet. Done cursed. And, well, how can you get uncursed? That's what we're going to learn. Uh, So, everyone, we are cursed as lawbreakers. We have all messed up. Uh, Jesus wasn't a lawbreaker. He was cursed via technicality. Here's what it says. Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So if somebody guilty, guilty of a capital offense is hung on a tree, they are cursed. And the cross that Jesus died on is called a tree. And so it is a tree. So at that time, what Paul's referring to is Jesus, via this technicality, became a curse. Now, you and I, we're cursed because we're lawbreakers. We have violated the Ten Commandments. And because we've violated them, we are cursed. Jesus is cursed. But what happens with him, he died then as one who is accursed like us. Now, again, you understand what I mean? He was accursed because of a technicality, but same sentence. And I'll tell you what, if you are then in a courtroom and you're charged with a crime and the person who is ahead of you is being considered by the judge does the same crime, and you're, and he's sitting out there waiting for a sentence. I guarantee you, you're going to pay attention to what the judge says to him. If you're charged with the same thing, you're going to be. oh I should be quiet. I'm all I want to hear this. What is the judge going to do with him? That's what we have with the resurrection and the death and resurrection of Christ. He was a curse. What's God going to do with somebody who's under the old covenant curse? And do we want to know that? I absolutely want to know, because we're cursed. So what happens to him? And you know what happened to him? Do you know why he needed to rise from the dead? And for it to be visible? We need to know, as one who is cursed, there's, he's cursed and God accepted him. Wait, how can God accept somebody who's cursed? But he did. And so what we can take from that, those who are under the jurisdiction of Old Covenant Law, well, Christ redeems us for that curse by becoming a curse for us and His resurrection from the dead becomes evidence for us that God will raise us even though we've violated the Ten Commandments. That's what, well, that's what it means to be a Christian. There is a. Jesus came to inaugurate a new covenant, to rescind the old covenant and put it in place of it, a new one. This covenant and this covenant, same covenants, but this one is a little bit better. This one, the older covenant with Abraham, the sign of the covenant was being circumcised. That's right, ladies, you're out. It was discriminatory. And that's not the way God operates. And Christ, is neither Jew nor free, slave nor free, male nor female. God does not discriminate on the basis of gender, race, or class. And that's why in the New Covenant, um, there is no discrimination based on those things. And this is the covenant that God operates by. We have two divine grants with a suzerain vassal covenant sandwiched in the middle. Um, This is what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian means we are not under the suzerain vassal covenant. Now, obey the commandments. Live by them. Don't live under them. That's not the covenant that God is observing. Don't imagine that if you keep the commandments, you're going to be blessed. And if you don't keep the commandments, you're going to be cursed. You're not under that covenant. Jesus died so that you wouldn't have to be. We are under the new covenant. And what we're supposed to do with the divine grant, when God makes a promise, what do we need to do with that promise? Believe it. That's what we need to do. This covenant What do you need to do to be successful in that one? Believe or behave? You have to behave. So what he says is that um, it's evident that no one is justified before God, for the righteous shall live by faith. But what it says with this one, you have to live by them. So if you're going to base your acceptance on doing the do's and not doing the don'ts, then the obligation is not to believe, but to behave. And what Paul says is God makes a promise. And what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to believe it. Um, So it says in verse 8, Know then that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Um, Faith is rooted in commitments, not commandments. What am I supposed to believe? What am I supposed to put my faith in? Promises. Faith is rooted in promises. That's what faith binds to. Isn't that what happened to Abraham? So shall your descendants be. Abraham heard the promise, put his faith in it, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. That's the same thing. That's what we do. We put our faith in promises. And the new covenant promises are those God writes his law in your heart. He's your God, and as we've talked about, he is Helios, which means generous, favorable, benevolent to your unrighteousnesses, and he remembers your sins no more. I'm going to tell you that again. Here's the promise. Here's what it says. God is gracious, favorable, benevolent, merciful, to your unrighteousnesses, and he remembers your sin no more. What happens when you believe that? You become a Christian. That's what a Christian is. That's what a Christian believes. And what was happening, these Galatians were being mixed up. They were believing, well, I'm kind of forgiven, and I'm kind of not. You know, so... They didn't feel that God, well, God loves me, but He'll love me even more. Yeah, and they were getting confusion, and that's why Paul wants to clear it. The old covenant places exclusion, inclusion on the far side of keeping the commandments. The Abrahamic covenant and the new covenant place inclusion on the far side of believing promises. Look what it says in Galatians four twenty six. Paul writes, talking about the sonship covenant. What does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Sibling rivalry existed between Ishmael and Isaac. That's what we know. Here's what it says. Genesis 16. The child grew Isaac. Now, he is the son of the promise, son of Sarah. The child grew in was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar, the Egyptian, had born to Abraham was mocking. We don't know what he was doing, but he was, well, he was 10 or 11 at the time, and he was mocking Isaac. And uh, Sarah said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. So that there was some rivalry. There was some conflict between the two. And here's what Paul says at the time. He sees the same thing happening in his time. These Jewish missionaries are like Ishmael's. The Galatian believers are like Isaacs, and there is conflict within the church. And this is what Paul is trying to help them to understand. It says, but at that time he was born according to the flesh, persecuted him was born according to the spirit. So also it is now. If you're trying hard to make God accept you, if you're trying hard to make God accept you, It's very difficult to believe that God accepts someone who doesn't try as hard as you. Isn't that the the deal with the parable of the prodigal son? Most of the parables, in fact, people getting what they don't deserve. And we naturally, just so you know, we naturally think that way. It's kind of in our DNA. And this is what Paul dealt with his entire ministry trying to wean those who put their faith in their behavior and trying to get them to put, to believe. It's a very challenging, and I'm not just saying this, it is extremely challenging. I remember, I told you this before, when I was, uh, I was a religious little tyke. I went to church, I mean, I was riding my bike and a couple miles and 40 days during Lent and I'm going to get up early and I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to church and I did and rode my bike and it was 80 year old Mrs. Boy and I remember she had kind of a mustache. And <laughs> I don't know. See, see you notice these things. So, you know, I'm looking around and I'm thinking, whoa, she has a mustache. Um, and then there's, uh, there's maybe four or five of us and they are You know, they were. Some of them were even in their 60s. That's how old they were. That's just unbelievable. (laughs) Just incredible. It's incredible how old they were. Um, So there were four or five of them, and there I was. And and nobody within 60 or 70 years. I was a religious little kid, and um, I remember when I went to. University of Pennsylvania, and I was a freshman. Somebody described to me how you'd become accepted by God. They said, you have to believe. I, I didn't buy it. I said, wait a minute, that's, you're supposed to just accept a gift? That doesn't make any sense. How can he do something? And I, I asked questions for a number of years, no, not years, months, months, asked question, 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 until I finally saw, you know what? And I was irritated. That's what it says. That's what it says. I can't debate it. And then I came to a place where I say, okay, God, I don't know what I think about this, but I think it's the truth. And so I went from placing my faith in what I did for God to what he did for me. That is when I placed my faith in Christ. And as with many of us, it's not when everything cleared up. I still had a lot of issues. It it was something that was very difficult to truly understand. In fact, I've been trying to understand that and understanding it a little bit more and a little bit more over the past 30 to 40 years. I grew up in a place where it was taught that you have to. And again, this feels controversial. And it is controversial If there's covenant clarity, I don't think it is controversial. But here's the deal. What I believed and this I remember on Saturday afternoons riding my bike to church and I didn't and then I went into the confessional and I told my sins, and then I had to go to the altar and I had to pray the prayers and that's when I was forgiven. When I heard this gospel, it's that I was forgiven, I That was the thing that was difficult. What do you mean? You don't have to tell anybody anything? And you're forgiven? you kidding me? But that's what I came to understand. But then I was around people who were in the Bible, and they said, well, yeah, God loves you, but you still have to ask forgiveness. Oh, Okay. And I remember thinking, when I didn't know much about the Bible, that seemed strange to me. Because it's what I love. That's what I moved out of. And that's why I was so surprised by. And then over the years, I wrestled again, sin is an issue. But what I was confused about, am I forgiven or not? Am I forgiven, but I have to say it and God has to extend forgiveness like, you know, God, here it is. I did that sin again. He goes, okay, take another five bucks worth of forgiveness, but don't see me again. You know, that's kind of the way I was taught that forgiveness works. That you, you say something and God gives you something. Again, many of us, that's the way that makes sense to us. Do you know what the New Covenant says? It seems to suggest, well, doesn't it say it? He's Helios to our unrighteousnesses. Helios means gracious, favorable, benevolent, merciful. Gracious, benevolent, favorable, merciful to our unrighteousnesses and remembers our sins no more. What I've come to see, well, in fact, I remember when it really hit me. um, And it was we were doing a retreat at Inspiration Hills. And I was trying to think. I'd been wrestling with confession for 30 years, trying to figure this out, and not finding a lot of clarity in stuff that I read. Until, but then I'd been looking at the the New Covenant and really spending a lot of time. And then it dawned on me. And I re- I'll never forget. I I, I was in a seat and I just couldn't write fast enough. I, I I write when I need to learn, and I was just. I think it was early, and, and this is what I saw. That's what confession is. Confession means to say the same thing as. It's what it means. You agree with God. Confession is to say the same thing as. And it occurred to me, what does God say about my sin? He says new covenant things about my sin. So here's what I learned. And we said this before. And I wrote it in there. I, I wrote it at that time. God, this is what confession is. I tell you the thing that I did that I wish I hadn't, because it's, you express. But then, I also, what you tell me, and this is what he tells you. I put my law in your mind and write it on your heart. I'm your God and you're my son and daughter. I will be helios to your unrighteousnesses and remember your sins no more. You know what that means? And I put it in these. I think I wrote it at that time. You're still in me and you're still with me and your are good still ahead of me, guaranteed. I think that's what God says. I think that's what he says to you. I'm still in you and I'm still with you and good still ahead of you, guaranteed. You know what that is? That is a promise. Here's my question. Do you believe it? It's hard to believe. It seems too easy. It is the gospel. It's what we're supposed to believe. What would happen if you believed it? We tend to believe, if I believe that, I would do all kinds of stuff that I shouldn't do. It doesn't work that way. God knows what he's doing. This is his deal. That's his idea. That's his idea. It doesn't make sense to us, but we didn't think it up, and we're not God. If we put our faith in that thing, it really does start to change you from the inside. It takes time. It takes time. You find yourself being more honest with him rather than say, God, I did that thing. You end up saying, God, why did I do that thing? We start to open up to him. We start to get this. Have a relationship with him. And rather than just, God, I did that. thing," We sit down with him. When you go to a doctor, you don't go in and say, I've been struggling with this. I've been struggling with that. Um, Thanks so much. Do that with God. God, I've been struggling with this and struggling with that. Growing up, I thought that's when I had to exit. But what I've learned, that's when I sit down. What's up with me? So I talk to him. God, I feel anxious. I feel I want, I think. And then sometimes things that he has written make sense, and that's what it's supposed to be. It's a relationship. Um, it takes a long time to become untied to what makes sense to us naturally. That's what Paul says in Romans 8. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you receive the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. I've said this before. We tend to think that the Spirit of God exists to tell you, "Mm hmm, you did that thing. Yeah, I saw you looking. I heard what you did. That is not the Spirit of God. It isn't. The Spirit of God will say, you know what? He's still in you. And he's still with you and good still ahead of you, guaranteed when you get that sense. That's right. Is that right? That's the spirit. Spirit says, yes, 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 is a spirit of sonship, spirit of sonship. It's hard to believe. It's the truth. Um, spiritually, I think what Paul would say, and in this letter. The danger comes from sacred sources, not secular ones. I would dare say sacred legalism is much more dangerous than secular humanism. Secular humanism, you know what you got. Individuals who live for here, that's fine. Okay, not fine, but at least you can figure it out. It's understandable. Sacred legalism, is that's dangerous. Because you know what ends up happening in sacred legalism? All these things get mixed up. These different colors, they're all thrown together in a puree. And, and they're given to you. And they say, drink this. And you say, I this don't drink all of that. Don't. You know what Paul would say? Develop a good yes. Develop a good yes. And a good no. Nope. Nope. That's not what he's doing. That's not the deal. That was a deal for a period of time. That ended when Jesus died. This is a new covenant in my blood. What are we supposed to do with that? What are we supposed to do with it? Believe it. You know what I'm Yeah. Paul says, cast off the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. You know what Paul wants them to do? He wants them to refuse those who, in the name of God, would tell them God will loves you and will love you even more if, he says, start to say no. Turn the radio off. Walk out of the church. Again, don't blow people up, but when it's the truth, say yes. When it's the truth, say eh, off by a covenant. Devin, come on up. Let's pray for this guy, huh? God, I remember saying uh, says in your word that um, When the disciples gather around Paul and Apollos, they sent them off. They dispatched them. And then your spirit dispatched them too. So what the group did was they released him. Grateful for the time that they had been able to spend with Paul and Apollos, but understanding their relationship with them would be different. They released them. And so... With gratitude, we thank you that we've had the opportunity to have Devon among us, and we release him into your hands. You are going to be with him. You're, you say that you'll be with him under the end of the earth, and so thank you that you'll do that. And so we thank you for your purposes for this son of yours, and trust you that you will work in him everything he needs to do your will work in him that which is pleasing in your sight through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. 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 Greet Devin. Hey, John. Oh, perfect. It is still on. Perfect. Uh, I just want to take a moment to say thank you. Um, It's been a pleasure um, serving with you and uh, just being a part of this uh, wonderful congregation. This is truly, truly a family to me, and uh, it's a pretty hard goodbye. Um, but we'll be in Sioux Falls, so you better not be strangers. My family will be hanging around here, so you're not losing all of me, but, (laughs) but no, thank you again. It's been a wonderful three years already and, uh, yeah, I've grown so much. I've learned so much. I've, uh, I've met some really, really wonderful people and, uh, even, even though JC Chambers isn't here, um, I just, I, I feel him in me and, uh, just the way that he he inspired me as a, as a worship leader right from the beginning when I started, and um, he, he's just such a part of this church still. So, to God be the glory, and uh, thank you all so much.